0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. for you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior
1: writer Jonathan Strickland. Then let's head on down into that cellar and carve ourselves a witch. (laughs) Okay, then. Today we're going to talk about something uh, that's received a a lot of press over the years and a lot of ridicule. uh, Mm -hmm. Some of which, I I mean, I I couldn't argue. (laughs) I think it was justified. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to talk about the saga of Duke Nukem Forever.
0: Ah, yes. Yes. For those of you who uh, are unfamiliar, Duke Nukem is an uh, an action video game superstar.
1: Um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh,
0: you know, uh, I would guess you would call it a first person shooter.
1: Well, yeah, let's 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 go back and set the scene a little bit before we get into the first person shooter part, because Duke Nukem the history actually stretches back before the first person shooter genre. Really? Yes. Uh, all right. First of all, before we even go into this at all. Wired has reported that the typical development cycle for a video game oh, yes. is two to four years. Yes. So it can take between two and four years to develop a typical video game.
0: And that's uh, that was a recent article, so I think that would go for today's video games.
1: Yeah. So keep that in mind. Yes. Two to four years. All right. This story starts really with a pair of friends, Scott Miller and George Broussard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Miller was a... Or still is. Uh, Scott Miller started programming back in 1975, building video games all the way back in 1975. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the first ones he wrote is called Beyond the Titanic, which is now freeware. You can actually go and download it. It's a mm-hmm. text-based game, sort of like the old Zork games. I love those games. Me too. And I really enjoyed those as well. So Beyond the Titanic, if you do a search for it, you can actually play one of Scott Miller's first games. Mm-hmm. See, Miller came up with a brilliant idea. He thought, why not find a way to get people interested in a computer game by releasing part of the game for free, and then in order to unlock the whole game, you have to pay, which mm-hmm. is the shareware-based model. Yes. Okay? So he came up with this idea, and he founded a, uh, a company called Apogee Software Limited. Mm-hmm. So this was uh, back in 1987, Apogee was kind of a, a part-time business for, for Scott. And then in 1990, he quit his job and concentrated on Apogee full-time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Broussard, George Broussard, was a, a, a co-founder. He was also interested in this, and um, he joined on with Scott Miller. Mm-hmm. So July 1st, 1991, the first Duke Nukem game came out. That's Duke Nukem 1.0. Right. Back then, it was a side-scroller game. Yes. So, so not a first-person shooter. It's a side scroller. And a side scroller is like the old Super Mario Brothers games. Mm-hmm. You know, not like a platformer. A, a platformer, exactly. Uh, it was it was innovative because your character could go left, right, up, or down. the The screen would scroll in all four directions. Mm-hmm. So you weren't forced in a single direction, uh, like you know, like the old Super Mario game. You start going to the right, you could never backtrack to the left.
0: Yeah, there are a number of games I've played like that. It's very frustrating if you feel like you could. Catch that extra power up, and you know,
1: yeah. it's too late, right? Yeah, you ran a little too far, and now you can't get that one up mm-hmm. uh, on the first level. Super Mario Brothers, not that I'm bitter. Anyway, so uh, so th- that was the first game in the Duke Nukem series. It introduced this kind of uh, Schwarzenegger-type hero, although back then it was very primitive. Again, it's just a side-scroller in a way. Just a it was a very good side-scroller, but it was not a first-person shooter. I was going to say it was just sort
0: of a two-bit character, except he was more than two bits. Yeah. Well, like eight.
1: He was definitely a two-dimensional. Definitely. Uh, but the uh, it, the game had some cheat codes in it and st- other stuff that got built into later Duke Nukem games. Uh, so that was July 1st, 1991. and no, By November 1st, uh, Duke Nukem 2.0 was released. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to skip ahead to 1992. May 5th, 1992, a new game developed by ID Software mm-hmm. hits. Do you know what this one was? it It involved shooting Nazis. Mm. Would that be Wolfenstein? Wolfenstein. Yes, Wolfenstein. Um, Wolfenstein 3D comes out. Now, Apogee wasn't just a game developer. They were also a game publisher. Mm-hmm. So this game was developed by ID Software.
0: You know, I, I always thought that was id.
1: Yeah, it's probably id. I've always, I You know what? I've always called it id, and then I got to this, and I was like, I'm just going to say ID just in case. Now, id Software. Mm-hmm. We'll go with id. So id created uh, Wolfenstein 3D. Apogee published it. And this started off the whole first-person shooter craze, really. I mean, it was the yeah. first one to really get attention on the PC. hmm So uh, December 3rd, 1993, Duke Nukem 2 comes out, and it's still a side-scrolling game. But the property is still going strong. Uh, and in 1994, Apogee creates a new brand called 3D Realms. Mm-hmm. Now, the idea back then was that Apogee was publishing all these different styles of games, and they thought if they could create a brand specific to each style of game, it would make it easier to identify. Right. So 3D Realms would have gone with all the 3D environment games, mostly the first-person shooters. Mm -hmm. Uh, It turned out that eventually 3D Realms became the unofficial name for the company. The the legal name was still Apogee Software Limited, but everyone knew of them as 3D Realms. Uh, mostly because the first-person shooter thing pretty much took off and the other yeah. genres kind of died down. So January 29th, 1996, Duke Nukem 3D hits. Yes. It goes gold. Uh this was the game that that really took the world by storm. Uh it was incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. So successful that it flooded 3D Realms coffers with filthy, filthy lucre. <laughs>
0: In other words, it made them rich.
1: Yeah, they made lots of money off Duke Nukem 3D. A lot of people just thought the game was a lot of fun. It was a first-person shooter, uh, had a lot of uh, snarky comments in it, mostly culled from the Army of Darkness and Evil Dead movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could easily imagine Bruce Campbell. Actually, it's easy to imagine Bruce Campbell saying these things because he has said them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But your character would say things like, Come get some, and groovy, and all that kind of stuff, which Mm -hmm. pretty much came straight from those movies.
0: Um, yeah, I'll have to take your word for it because I'm not much into the first-person shooter type I, games. So I played I played it
1: so many hours of Duke Nukem 3D. Now it was based off a uh, the the engine they used was called Build. Mm-hmm. It was it was developed in-house by 3D Realms.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there were very very few people I, I understand who who built the original game. Yeah, yeah, a very very small team of people who created it.
1: Yeah, this was back before you had to have. Enormous teams to build a video game I mean, today you'll hear Weird reports of I think I once heard that Grand Theft Auto 4 Cost an insane amount of money to develop mm-hmm. Like, we're talking like $100 million to develop I don't believe that necessarily But it it's kind of indicative of how video game development Has has spiraled into this enormous thing When back in the day it was a much smaller uh, uh, task mm mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so the the game comes out in 96. It's a huge success. 3D Realms ends up getting really, really uh, rich off of it. Um, mm-hmm. Broussard and Miller in particular... And they weren't doing poorly to, to before that. It's just that Duke Nukem really This is a off.
0: really big one.
1: Yeah. And then um, some patches and mods come out over the next few years for Duke Nukem uh, 3D, which allow you to alter the game. I've actually played a few. I, I remember getting a mod for Duke Nukem 3D that created whole new levels that were not designed by 3D Realms. Right. Other people had designed these and then uploaded them, and then you could download them. And, and as long as you had the basic game, you could play the, the modded levels. Right. Um, you also could play on a local area network against other players, mm-hmm. which to me was phenomenal. I remember the first two games I ever did that with were Duke Nukem 3D and Descent, oh. which was the three-dimensional spaceship game where you, right. you could move in three different planes, right? You could go up, down, left, right. Actually, you, know, you could do the X, Y, and Z axes. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so really popular game. 97... Uh, April 27, 1997, 3D Realms did what uh, would come back to haunt them (laughs) multiple times over the next few years. They announced officially the development of a game called Duke Nukem Forever. Mm -hmm. It was at this point where Broussard had decided that because the first Duke Nukem game, 3D game, was such a huge success, uh, he was not going to cut any corners in developing Duke Nukem Forever. Yeah, And that was a decision that would haunt many people for many years.
0: Yep, yep. Both Jonathan and I had consulted an article that ran in Wired um, in December 2009 uh, by Clive Thompson. It's a really, really awesome article. If you're interested in this topic, you should definitely go check it out. Uh, But from from everything I read, especially in that article, um, it appears that he uh, is the consummate perfectionist. He wants everything to be just so. Um, and to pro- a, to a fault.
1: And the problem with that in the video game world is that as you're developing a game, other companies are developing new engines, mm-hmm. and a new engine will come out that'll make your game look primitive in comparison. And so, Broussard hated this. Like back back when they were developing Duke Nukem 3D, they were on the cutting edge, mm-hmm. right? And then. What happened was when they went to Duke Nukem Forever, Broussard made a judgment call. Mm -hmm. He decided that it would be faster and more efficient and more cost effective if they licensed the game engine uh, instead of trying to build a brand new one. Because the build game engine was showing signs of, of being out of date. They right. knew they were going to have to go with a new game engine.
0: I think we should point out, too, what a game engine actually is.
1: Um, yeah, it's, it's
0: like the chassis, I would guess, if you use a car metaphor for it. It's it's the software on which the world can be built right. for a first-person shooter game, especially. I, would, I, th- I think of an engine as being a, a first-person or 3D-type uh, construct, not like a side-scroller platform or something like that.
1: Yeah, and often it'll have elements to it. It may or may not involve a physics engine. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you can have a, a physics engine that's separate from the game engine mm-hmm. um, that gets incorporated later. It's built on top of that chassis, if you will. Yeah. The, uh, sorry,
0: but- I shouldn't. I shouldn't mix engine and chassis. But yeah, I mean, it's the if you used engine strictly as the metaphor. Yeah, it's yeah. what powers the game, or and the physics right. engine powers, how the physics run in the game.
1: Right, exactly. So you, you may have everything from how the game renders to mm-hmm. just just what happens when you do this, what is the result? Like, mm-hmm. when you shoot a, a monster, what is the result? All of this stuff depends upon the game engine. Yeah. And uh, and we're most, mostly talking about the way the game engine rendered graphics, especially mm-hmm. graphics in motion. And so Broussard made the decision to to uh, Lease the Quake 2
0: engine.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, Quake 2 was, uh, this engine was designed by by a completely different company. Um, So 3D Realms had, you know, they had to pay in order to use it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they decided that that would be faster than developing their own. this same year, which was, again, 1997, uh, that was when Miller announced that the villain from the very first Duke Nukem game, mm-hmm. Nukem 1.0, the side-scroller one, uh, Dr. Proton would be returning in some form in mm-hmm. Duke Nukem Forever. All right? So, 97's when they announced it. They start to lease the Quake 2 engine. Uh, and uh, and in May of 1998, a trailer came out for this game, mm-hmm. for E3. Right. E3, which is the uh, Enterta- Electronic Entertainment Expo. Yes. Yeah. What you said. Yeah, it's, it's all about video games. And I've been a couple times. It is amazing mm-hmm. and intimidating. So this trailer came out and people thought it was pretty impressive. It showed some new gameplay elements, including Duke firing guns at aircraft as he's on a uh, a moving truck. Mm-hmm. So it had like a a, a part where you're playing a, in a turret. You know, you were manning a turret and firing at at planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty cool stuff. A big jump from Duke Nukem 3D. Uh, and uh, there was also an introduction of a female character called Bombshell, who the less said about the better. Anyway, uh, she did not look like she was a... F- <laughs> Saying that she wasn't a fully developed character is probably going to be the wrong way of putting it. Um, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Uh, let's just say that a lot of uh, a lot of Duke Nukem is based off juvenile fantasies. Yeah. Uh, so then in... That was May 1998. Mm-hmm. One month later... 3D Realms announces that it's dropped the Quake 2 license. Mm-hmm. It's switching instead to the Unreal engine, which is, uh, was from Epic Mega Games.
0: Yeah, I remember when Unreal came out, and so many people who love the first person shooter genre really, really enjoyed Unreal and uh, Unreal Tournament. Um, and I, I do remember that being a, a great big deal at the time because it was basically it's Quake versus uh, Epic Mega Games Unreal and which one was the best. And
1: Yeah, I think I think most people did think that Unreal was uh, provided faster, smoother graphics than mm-hmm. Quake. Uh, they may not have liked the gameplay as much, but they thought that the graphics themselves were better, which is kind of what Broussard thought. So they decided to go with the Unreal engine instead of the Quake 2 engine. So at that time, Broussard says, hey, don't worry, this won't really delay us that much. Expect the game next year, which would be 1999. And how
0: long is this after the initial announcement?
1: Uh, Two years. So we're now two years in. Because 97 was the official announcement, um, and 99, uh, we still have seen nothing of the game. And two years after they first started working, actually, (laughs) two years after they first announced it, you've got to keep in mind that... Right. Companies work on these things before they announce them. Right,
0: right. right? So it's it, it's at least two years into a two- to four-year average development
1: cycle. And they've just scrapped their game engine. Entirely, which means yeah. they're going to have to recode everything. pretty much everything from right. scratch. Yeah, you might keep the level design the same, and you might keep the same sort of monsters and everything. You may want to try and, and maintain the same look, but in a more sophisticated way. But you still have to recode all that. Mm-hmm. So October 22nd, 1999, uh, that's when Miller says that they're tweaking the engine again to take advantage of new Unreal uh, engine improvements that were developed for Unreal Tournament. Mm-hmm. Mostly this would be the multiplayer stuff, but just engine improvements in general. Uh, so November 1999, they say, okay, These engine changes are causing more delays than we thought. Uh, We're having to patch the engine a lot. And so it's slowing us down a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at that point, a company called Infogrames purchased a majority stake in another company called GT Interactive. Mm -hmm. All right. GT Interactive was the retail distributor for Duke Nukem Forever. Mm -hmm. So now those rights revert to Infogrames. Infogrames announces, expect Duke Nukem Forever in the year 2000, Mm -hmm. three years after the initial announcement. Yep. Uh, So that year, 2000, was the first time Wired gave Duke Nukem Forever a special award.
0: Well, that would be more of an infamous award.
1: Yeah. It gave it the second place for the Vaporware of the Year
0: Awards. We've uh, we've mentioned vaporware a few times on the podcast. I, I don't think we've mentioned it recently at all. Um, basically, when there is a product, uh, this I, I've heard the term used more in tech than anything else, but it refers to a product or software that uh, is announced, people expect it for a while, and then keep expecting it for a little while longer, and then after that they expect it some more, and then it just never shows up, and sometimes the company folds other times you know they uh, you know end up scrapping the project
1: or it gets it gets somehow looped into some other project and so it's called something else when it finally comes out and people don't remember
0: yeah but yeah, yeah Vapor- but in this case the company was still very much around and they were still theoretically working on the project actually not theoretically they were in fact working on the project but it just hadn't shown up
1: yeah and so wired gives it the second place of the vaporware of the year awards in 2000 2001 it gets first place (laughs) And it gets it again in 2002. And in 2003, they give it the Lifetime Achievement Award. So in 2004, no Duke Nukem Forever listed in Wired's Vaporware of the Year. But 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, it's listed. They skipped it in 2009. They they acknowledged Duke Nukem Forever, but they did not include it in the list. Mm -hmm. So... Vaporware all those years. And again, that's much longer than a two to four year life cycle. But but jumping back a little bit I'm sorry, you were gonna say something.
0: Well no, I was going to jump back a little bit yeah. because um you know at this point in, in uh Uh, Clive Thompson's article back in 2003, uh, he said only 18 people were working on developing the software. Yeah. Um, Which, again, talking in today's terms, a two- to four-year development cycle, um, that's relying on a staff of 50 or even more people, depending on the title. And a a game as ambitious as Duke Nukem Forever, you would expect lots of people to be working on this, Uh, especially because, well, honestly... They expected to make a lot of money on it, right. so you could afford to hire more programmers and get more people involved with the project because you'd be able to pay off in the end, even with that added expense.
1: Yeah, here's here's the thing: is that because they made so much money with Duke Nukem 3D and because, and other projects, mm-hmm. they had a lot of money they could pour into this development project. Yes, so it's we should we should clear this up too. Uh, uh, and, uh, well, back in, back in 2000, December 2000, to jump back just a little further, oh, okay. Infogrames sold those those retail distribution rights to someone else. Do you remember who that was?
0: No, I don't. Take-Two. Oh, yes, I did. Take-Two Interactive. I just didn't want to be wrong.
1: Same distributors who who uh, publish out games like Red Dead Redemption, the Mafia games, Grand Theft Auto, mm-hmm. Civilization Five. Yes. Take-Two. Indeed. So, Take-Two, that's going to be important in a little bit when we get to the... Explosion of yes. uh, of three D realms than the Duke Nukem Forever project. So now now jumping back ahead, uh, yeah, you you started to see problems um, more than more than just delays. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the, in two thousand two, they scrapped all the work they had done on Duke Nukem Forever and decided to dump the Unreal Engine and go with an in house engine after all,
0: mm-hmm. right? You know, Jonathan, I think it's fascinating. Just as a, a side note here, um, that there are, if you're interested in evidence of these different builds of the game, there are trailers that they would show at uh, E3. Yep. Every so often to show what they were working on, and you can actually see evidence of the different builds of the game running on different uh, engines.
1: Yeah, there's there's it's a kind of fascinating. There's really. a trailer for the 98 one that they showed at E3. There's mm-hmm. a trailer for the Unreal Engine version, uh, which was shown, I think, in um, yeah 2000. 2001 at mm-hmm. E3 again. Uh, the in-house stuff is sort of what we're seeing now, although it's um, been heavily modified, of course, since that time. Uh, at any rate, so so they've gone through three different game engines. They went. Mm-hmm. They also switched their physics engine at one point. So they, there's another change there. Um, at one point, Take Two, a CEO for Take Two, said that they were actually using the Doom 3 engine, but Broussard uh, refuted that, said that was not true. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Broussard and Take Two have had a very contentious history. Yeah, it seemed uh, like it from the, uh,
0: from the Thompson article, especially.
1: Yeah, there was a point where, uh, the, the CEO for Take Two said that the game would definitely not be out before a certain time. And Broussard said, hey, you have no right to say when and, uh, when a game will or will not be ready, because you're just publishing it, you're not building it. Right. So shut up. You don't know anything. About it. Actually, you use much worse language than that. that. Yeah. But at any rate, so Broussard was not shy about this at all. No. And um, during the the around 2006, uh, 3D Realms had a severe morale problem mm-hmm. with the, especially with the development team for Duke Nukem Forever because. This is 2006. They've been developing this game for almost a decade now. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, think about it. If you're one of the programmers, you would be able to say that you had this massive, super-duper cool title on your resume and go, look what I worked on, except if it never shows up then you get to say, yeah, I just
1: wasted the last five years of my life on and something that never got released. More than that, it also became a monetary thing. Because, sure. as it turns out, 3D Realms apparently was was paying their developers less money than compete, competing developers. Mm-hmm. But... The promise of 3D Realms was that, hey, look at Duke Nukem uh, 3D. That game was phenomenal. It mm-hmm. made us rich. This game's going to make you rich because we're going to give you these profit-sharing right. uh, uh, bonuses. Mm-hmm. So, But here's the problem is that you can't share in a profit if the game never comes out. Exactly. It's one of those little tricky things about profits. You can't make them till you're selling something. Um, so... The, the profit-sharing promise was starting to get a bit stale, actually mm-hmm. very stale, by 2006. And several employees left 3D Realms during that period. Mm-hmm. Um, Duke Nukem Forever looked like it was in danger of being put on the shelf because a lot of the people who were carrying that knowledge had left the company. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they decided, uh, Broussard's like, no, I am not going to let this die. And he went on to the 3D Realms webpage and put out uh, job openings. And they put a big picture of Duke Nukem on the job openings. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the people that Broussard hired was a man by the name of Brian Hook. Mm -hmm. And Brian Hook brought with him a certain uh, quality that was much needed at 3D Realms. Yes. He had the ability to look at Broussard in the eye and say, no, no. Because here was the thing, was that, again, like you said, Broussard was a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. still is. A perfectionist who wants the absolute best for his game, which is an admirable quality, but it means that you never let go, which right. we can see. There's evidence of that by the fact that this game has yet to come out. Right. Brian Hook was the first person to actually stand up to Broussard and say, you know what, that's a great idea, but we can't put it in this game. We'll put it in the next one. This game has to go out. We can't keep changing things this late in the development cycle yes Uh, it wasn't quite enough to save the company if that had happened if Hook had come on uh, earlier Mm -hmm. this game would have been out in fact this game and sequels would have been out by now I, I fully believe that but because Broussard's a very powerful personality yeah um you know, no one else really did that and so things just kept changing. And I'm not really criticizing Broussard because I think I'd probably be the same way. If I saw a, a superior engine come out while I'm working on this game and I had made my reputation on a game a few years earlier, I would also be tempted to switch. So I can't really criticize him. Uh, over the next couple of years, more screenshots get leaked to various websites and magazines. Uh, it, in 2009, Broussard took a demo of the game to Take-Two, and mm-hmm. he was asking them for $6 million additional funding to finish the game.
0: Yes. They had uh, they had run out of, of uh, a lot of their funding, and, and that's even with the co-founders of the company starting to put forth some of their own cash. I read that... Um, According to the Thompson article.
1: Yeah, I read that uh, the, the the head of Gearbox Software, and we'll talk about them a little bit in a second. Randy Pitchford? Uh, Randy Pitchford s- said that he believes Broussard put 20 to $30 million of his own money into developing this game. Mm-hmm. I mean now that's a story of a man who is absolutely determined to get this thing out. I mean clearly you don't you don't put that money into any sort of project and just consider it like a vanity project or something. That's a ton of cash. Right. Um Anyway, so he takes, takes the game to Take-Two, and they ask for $6 million. Now, what happens next depends upon whom you ask. Yes, it does. According to Broussard and Miller, they say that Take-Two initially agreed to the $6 million and then said, you know what, never mind, here's $2.5 million instead. What Take-Two says is, no, they said the $6 million figure was unrealistic, and so they offered $2.5 million to start and an additional $2.5 million once the game was finished, mm-hmm. uh, but that they had rejected the $6 million dollars. Um, uh, proposal yeah. in either case uh, 3D Realms left without the money Yep. so then on May 6th 2009 very very sad day at 3D Realms they dismissed the development team for Duke Nukem Forever
0: and were immediately hit with a lawsuit
1: yeah, uh, immediately being a week later, but yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> Almost it, immediately, yes. When you're
0: talking about a game that's been in development for 12 years.
1: Yeah. That's pretty immediate. Is three times the maximum length for a typical video game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they release the team. They, they essentially fire the development team. Now, 3D Realms exists to this day. Yes. That company itself has not gone away, but that entire division of their company is gone. Yes. Uh, apart from Broussard and Miller. Mm-hmm. Um So then Take-Two does file a lawsuit against 3D Realms saying that they failed to deliver upon a promised deliverable. Yeah. So some people began to conjecture that the reason Take-Two did this was not to get any money back from... 3D realms, but in order to bleed the company dry so that they could get hold of the IP of Duke Nukem. Mm-hmm. So that way, Take-Two would own the distribution rights and the actual intellectual property of Duke Nukem, and they could develop the game any way they want and make money in perpetuity. Right. That's not exactly what happened. No. And what did happen was Randy came along. Yeah, now... um I'd like to say for the –
0: in in defense of the Thompson article, if you go read it, you're going to go, wait, this is – it ends. It ends here. The game is over. It will never come out. There there are lawsuits. Well, it was written in December 2009. Yeah. And that really did seem like the final word until Randy stepped in.
1: Yeah. It Uh,
0: turns – I was was just going to say that he was a developer. On Duke Nukem 3D, yes, yes. So he 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 liked Duke Nukem.
1: He had some history with Duke Mm -hmm. Nukem. He knew uh, Mr. Bruce Hard. He credited a lot of his own personal success with the lessons he learned back when he was working on that initial project. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he's also a very passionate guy. It turns out these guys are not shy.
0: No, and they're they're very driven people.
1: Yeah, they are uh, also not afraid to use colorful metaphors, as Spock would say. Okay, um, because in every quote I read, I was like, I can't say that one on the podcast, <laughs> not without some beeping. Anyway, so uh, yeah, Randy Pitchford heads a company called Gearbox Software, mm-hmm. and Gearbox Software, according to, well, according to Randy, three uh, D Realms sold the intellectual property to Gearbox Software. Some people say Gearbox Software went out and bought the intellectual property. And Randy says, no, they sold it to me. And it really is just a matter of perspective saying that what that means is the people at 3D Realms felt that Gearbox Software, out of all the companies in the world, would be the one that would preserve their vision for the game and keep it true to what they had been working on for more than a decade
0: right well yeah, that, that uh, what I read was uh, the article that you sent me, Jonathan, from yep. uh, Nick Cowan in The Telegraph mm-hmm. um, and from from what it, it sounds like uh, from reading that article, it's important to uh, Mr. Pitchford that yes. it stays. It, he said honestly it could the company could go in a different direction. a lot of companies would take Duke Newcomb and throw the old game out and build a new game with him as the lead character. But right. they're trying to preserve as much as they can not to of the what fact, 3D Realms had done.
1: It also falls into the danger that Broussard fell into, that you know, you try and change everything, you may keep this lingering in development instead of actually coming out as a game. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, Randy decided that he wanted to just put the finishing touches on this game, uh, which included lots of stuff. He said that the game was not... not close to being finished, but at the same time, he wasn't going to make any fundamental changes. He was just going to complete the work that had already been started Mm -hmm. and then polish it. So he announced at Penny Arcade Expo, uh, September 2010, that Gearbox Software was bringing the Duke back. This was the first public announcement of Gearbox Software being involved in Duke Nukem Forever. And he said, Mm -hmm. the game's coming out, and you'll have it in your hands in 2011, and I brought demos. Wow. And he let the crowd come in. Anyone who was 17 or older could play the demo, because <laughs> it has some objectionable material in it. Um. As it does. But the uh, yeah, which I will not go into. But at any rate, they they allowed. He allowed. uh Players to line up and try out the demo. And it got a lot of positive reviews saying that it brought back the spirit of the old Duke Nukem games. It has mm-hmm. that same sort of cheesy sense of humor. Um, some people question whether or not that's even relevant today because, you know, Duke Nukem came to prominence during the whole, like, the real big, beefy action hero movie uh, yeah. uh, craze, like yeah. Die Hard and Predator and all of those movies. Rambo. And Rambo. And. Then we kind of went through a period where that sort of fell out of style. Yeah. Although you could argue that with movies like the, the, the latest Rambo movie and The Expendables that there's a bit of a throwback that's coming into vogue right now.
0: Yeah. And so, maybe a good
1: time for them. Yeah. The, it might the be the perfect be for them to jump and maybe it'll spiral into a whole new era of us making terrible, terrible cliché quotes and and then walking away in slow motion. Uh, at any rate, so 2011 is when we expect to see this game, and um, I'll probably play it. I played the first Duke Nukem, well, the Duke Nukem 3D. I didn't play the side-scroller.
0: I have to say, though, it's um, whereas uh, a lot of other types of games uh might falter after a development cycle this long. One thing that uh, 3D Realms did right is to create a personality um, that's driven a serious, heavy-duty fan base. I mean, there there are lots and lots of fans, other than just Jonathan here, who really want to play this game because they loved the kind of game it, it was and they loved the character behind it. I mean, you've got people like Mario and, and Sonic and Lara Croft and some of the others... Um, you know other other lesser uh characters probably would not have been supported through this long long uh period of vaporware for this game but i honestly think that uh they certainly did something right by creating such a uh, memorable action hero for this game
1: definitely and we'll have to uh, we'll have to see how the public reacts to this this game coming out it's um it's been a long time coming, and really, at this point, I think it's impossible to say that any game could live up to a, the expectations of a 13-year development cycle, mm-hmm. but um, hopefully it won't just crash and burn right out of the gate. I would love to actually see it succeed. For one thing, any time you can add more variety to the first-person shooter genre, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy to see it. Uh, you know, there's some great examples out there, and there's some, but it's always nice to have another entry into there, especially if it's if it's one that's got you know some history behind it. So yeah. we'll keep our eyes open. We'll let you guys know what we think, or at least I'll let you know what I think when I get my hot little <laughs> hands on it. And uh, that wraps up this discussion about Duke Nukem Forever. It's something that I honestly, for a while there, I wasn't expecting to see it ever, ever. Yeah, I don't it's think still a lot not of out yet. Yeah. So I shouldn't I shouldn't count my chickens or anything. But yeah. At any rate, if you guys have any suggestions for topics we should tackle or you have any other, like, the story of Pac-Man or something that you really want us to to sit down and have a detailed discussion over, let us know. You can let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw, or you can email us at techstuffathowstuffworks.com, and Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
0: If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. TechStuffHSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TechStuffHSW. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new TechStuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you